0: Hey guys. Sean Steele here with my good friend, colleague, uh, super lawyer, and then we have a very special guest, which makes us the most stunning turnout for chiropractors in our history of doing this monthly telephone call, now a Zoom call. God knows what it'll be next uh, next year. Uh, the technology is changing. Uh, so Alex has found a unicorn, a smart attorney, who worked for insurance companies who's gonna tell us the truth about how she looks at and how she eats chiropractors for breakfast. <laughs> well, maybe that's a tough tough way to do it. But we want to we want to the reason you're you're popular, man, the reason is that seldom do chiropractors actually get to hear they don't need to be complimented, uh, you know, maybe maybe you have a good chiropractor and that'd be a blessing. But uh they, they need to hear where their weaknesses are, what they need to bone up on, where they need to prepare, uh, what What are easy areas for attacking doctors' credibility in personal injury cases? Many doctors depend on personal injury. uh, Unless they're doing, you know, 90% of the time PI, uh, they're doing other kinds of work. They're doing gerontology work, sports work, uh, community work. So they don't have the expertise of doing a great job in PI uh, because they just don't have the time for it. Those are the doctors I prefer to work with. The doctor that's you know doing PI all the time, uh, they make me a little nervous uh, for for lots of reasons. Now Alex, uh, ha, we have taught him to speak fluent chiropractics. He's 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 very good at. He's lectures with me all over the state. We lecture at the three chiropractic colleges. But today is his show, so I'm going to get off. Uh, Alex has himself a silver, look at this, a silver microphone. Uh, He's got some really nice special equipment, but most importantly, he got you today. So, Alex, take it away. This is going to be exactly a half an hour. We're recording it. You can get a copy of it. If if you're nice, contact me, John or Alex. Uh, But you're going to learn something you will not soon forget. And again, thank you, Amanda. Of
1: course. All right. So uh, I'm, I'm hearing some rumor that maybe we're not being heard. I don't know if we are or not. We are being heard. Okay, so we're being heard. That is fantastic news. Um, so Amanda, thank you for doing this. I very much appreciate it. Um, it's, not, uh, it's not just any defense attorney who would agree to such, uh, to such a thing. Um, but I think for the betterment of, uh, of, of, the, of the profession and, and, the, uh, and the treatment of patients, I think this is positive. So, so thanks for being here. I appreciate it. Of course. Um, I wanted to start out kind of broadly and ask you sort of what kinds of things generally, when you get a new case, uh, are you looking for in the medical records as you begin to formulate your defense?
2: Um, first, I guess let me just give a little background for like sure. myself, just for context. Uh, I've been I've only done insurance defense in my career. I've been practicing a little over ten years. I started out doing MedMal, and then I've done you know the in house counsel with the large auto insurance people for the last a little over eight-ish years. Um, So that just gives you kind of an idea of what I deal with. So I'm constantly dealing with adjusters and trying to convince them not to be idiots and to pay. Um, I am not a uh, poster child for the defense (laughs) industry where uh, I do truly believe that people are injured in car accidents. Um, The chiropractors, I do believe the chiropractors have a huge role in PI uh, because other than the emergency room doctors, chiropractors are generally the first people to see a person after a car accident. And your reporting plays a tremendous role in how I view a case because uh, it gives me an introduction into what to expect, um, is someone, you know, to what degree or what, um, yeah, to what degree are they injured, right? And uh, that's that provides me a great level of, um, I guess, uh, credibility, right, to rely on when I'm assessing a case, like initially. So as to your question, Alex, um, the first thing that I'm looking for in a report and billing is generally the level of detail. So soap notes play a huge role for me. Is a chiropractor even taking daily soap notes for all of the visits that are made? Sometimes they're not. I used to practice in Los Angeles. Now I'm in South Orange County Uh, when I was in L.A., Um, the chiropractor notes were astonishingly bad. Sometimes a patient would treat for eight months or a year and all the SOAP notes would literally be handwritten on one page for almost a year of treatment with just like one little line of scribble that is an insufficient level of detail. Um, my chiropractic experts, you know, on the standard trial would tear that apart as to being insufficient for a a treater to be able to refer to. Um, so i'm looking for
1: you're not just looking for quantity of notes i assume you're looking for those notes to be uh, to contain some level of uh, information that you're not able to ascertain from their formal report i'm assuming
2: yeah So, so right i'm looking for subjective complaints like what are they complaining of today what's bothering them today the more detailed you are the more it helps me because it would give me an indication um you know if someone is is volunteering you know, hey, I, I'm really having a hard time like getting out of bed or bathing right now or something, if you're giving me detail as to their activities of daily living and what they're struggling with, that is tremendously helpful in the um, evaluating a case and also trying to, you know, perhaps convince an adjuster, look, like these, these have been consistent complaints from the beginning, right? The first time we're hearing about this is an in-plaintiff's deposition, these are long standing complaints. A plaintiff's credibility is largely established through the records before I take their deposition. So the more consistency I can build in the records and the more detail there is, uh, the more credible they will be seen, the more credible the treatment is viewed, and uh, the the easier it is for me to try and get claims to pony up and pay. Um, Also, I've noticed there are some uh, offices that just have like a laundry list of boxes that people just check off, right, rather than giving me detailed notes as to this particular patient. It's so much easier for me if I get those detailed, thorough, unique notes for this person. It's very obvious when offices copy and paste notes. Um, I mean, when it's literally word for word, the exact same thing for every visit, it just makes me doubt, um, you know, the amount of time, like face-to-face time that someone's spending with a patient, uh, the kind of feedback they're getting from them. And it's, you know, it makes me cast doubt on the treatment as a whole.
1: So a lot of chiropractors use, and probably a lot that are on the call right now, use um, those, those forms at the, for every time a patient comes in, while they're in the waiting room, just to check the forms. What are your pain levels on a scale of one to 10 in these various areas? Which of these activities of daily living are you struggling with and by how much? Um, And they claim uh, often that they use these forms to track progress over time. Well, she was, you know, when she first came in, she was saying that, you know, eight out of 10, she was struggling to get out of bed. Now she's one out of 10 to get out of bed. And that shows improvement. So those forms are are great. Well, I'm just saying, are you saying that those are not helpful for any purpose or are you saying that they're not useful as a replacement for soap for quality soap notes and I assume it's the latter
2: it's the latter definitely so I always appreciate when there's a patient questionnaire that they you know fill out when they come in because it's the person it's it's the of some words you know right. like what they're feeling or if they have a pain diagram they can kind of show because oftentimes people aren't very good at explaining their right. pain especially someone who has English as a second language sure. so if they can do a diagram. You know, that's helpful for me. Uh, I have no problem at all with those kind of box checking. You know, what symptoms are you feeling? You know, that's fine. Uh, For me, it's when those box checking lists are used in the place of soap notes, right? Because every patient can't necessarily fit into, you know, those boxes. And it also doesn't always give me the quality of how much they're feeling or the severity, right? So it's, again, those in the doctor's own words, you know, what are they feeling? how frequently to what severity, you know, subjectively, like today, right? And then give me, you know, the objective for today. Like, what are their orthopedic tests? Like, what are their ranges of motion? Like, give me all those details for each day. And that that level of detail, I look at it, I know adjusters look at it. And again, we're just looking for that consistency.
1: Yeah, that's totally fair. Um,
2: um, go ahead. And then I was gonna say, let's see. If it's an injection case for example like if i know ultimately this person got injections i'm looking for uh and i, I comb through the records literally word by word looking for anything indicating numbness tingling you know particular complaints if there's pinwheel testing going on if there's any sort of indication that this person had reduced sensation that is something i cling to because oftentimes i'll see in the injection cases that they're um you know someone's treating with a chiropractor for Maybe two, three months before they go to an orthopedist. And then all of a sudden, when they see the orthopedist, they're complaining of particular complaints, you know, upper and lower extremities, uh, you know, down to these certain fingers. And there's been no mention of it. I'm not saying that that's necessarily the chiropractor's fault. You know, maybe those complaints were there at the time. You know, sometimes these symptoms show up later. But when there's a clear inconsistency between what's been documented at chiropractor, what's been documented at orthopedist, and then what the plaintiff is telling me in deposition, it just makes my, if I'm really attacking a case, it makes it a lot easier for me to draw out those inconsistencies. Uh, if the chiropractic reporting is very detailed, you know, and there's still no complaints of, you know, radiculopathy, then, okay, you know, we'll, we'll deal with it. But if the chiropractic reporting is um, too thin on detail, then.
1: Yeah. So I think a lot of chiropractors who are listening would be surprised to hear you talk with this level of understanding of what they're doing and, and what they're writing, um, because I think the, the conception of, among chiropractors is that no one's reading this stuff. Uh, no one's reading their soap notes, and if they are, they certainly don't know what they're looking for. Uh, and you don't strike me as someone who doesn't know what they're looking for. To the uh, to the contrary, I mean, these, you're, you're exactly talking about what are the indications that would cause somebody to be a referred to an orthopedist and B um, to be recommended for injection and an inconsistency in those records. Uh, even if they're voluminous, it sounds like you're, you're willing to, to do the homework to look for it uh, is, is something that you're looking for and will either play toward the plaintiff's credibility or potentially contrary to the plaintiff's credibility.
2: Yeah. If there's lumbar radiculopathy later at, a, at an orthopedist visit, but it wasn't documented a Cairo, a Cairo visit, I'm looking to see if there was a straight leg raise you know, test to see if that's positive and to what degree, right? When is that setting off and is it bilateral? Is it on one side? Um, because after years of doing this stuff, you have to learn, you know, what is Tenelle's? What is Faber's? What is Spurling's? Like, you know, these are the things that, you know, have become the tools of my trade because if I don't understand those, I don't understand what the plaintiff's complaints are or potentially their inconsistencies. Right. Um, and how it, uh, it changes throughout their treatment, you know, with uh, the ortho.
1: So, um, a lot of uh, switching gears a little bit, but sort of along the same line, they, they, a lot of chiropractors are very concerned about a deposition. This comes up uh, all the time in seminars and all the time in questions. Um, it's, it's, fairly rare from the chiropractor standpoint I know chiropractors who have gone their whole careers and never been deposed or maybe one time been deposed um, but from the attorneys side I, I always tell them why well, I sit in chiropractic depositions not that infrequently um, what are some of the things that that would make you say I want to take this person's deposition uh, versus you know whatever the, their records would be? what uh, what are some of the things
2: I'm going to take a chiropractor's deposition if I have a case and they are the only treater, if we're going to trial, right? So expert discovery usually happens the month before trial. So that happens really late in the game. Mm -hmm. Um, But if if it looks like, you know, this is where it's heading and they're the only person that provided treatment, I'm most likely going to take their deposition. Uh, Sometimes I won't just because I already have all their reporting and it's very clear and I don't think there's anything to be gained. Sometimes I will take a deposition as a strategy as, almost a courtesy to plaintiff counsel if I feel like maybe they're behind the ball and I want to draw out all these consistencies to try and push the case to settlement. That's not very frequent, but sometimes I will. Um, I'll also take the deposition if they are listed as a retained physician uh, rather than just a treating physician. Um, That's generally when they're the only treater anyway. And then also um, uh, I can take a chiropractor's deposition if there are handwritten notes that are so illegible and so poorly written that I can't make out what they're saying. And I don't have to pay you your expert fee. I can pay you a witness fee of $35 to get you to interpret what your notes are. And if you can't read your own notes, that's a big problem. And I get to draw that out. And make a lot of hay out of that with a jury at trial. Uh, Usually I'll do that earlier in a case because I'm not allowed to ask you any opinions about um, treatment and why you did certain things and what your opinions are about uh, a plaintiff's prognosis or diagnosis or anything like that. But I could just get you to sit there for hours if needs be and interpret your notes, which might be just-
1: And that's. I was gonna bring that up if you didn't, that that's a, um a one possible use of the deposition tool, and I've seen that done many times, uh, not just for chiropractors, but uh, medical doctors and, and all sorts of people, attorneys uh, who have illegible handwriting, um, that you can depose them and pay them a witness fee if all you're doing is making them interpret their own sloppy handwriting, um, which might- And uh, then
2: I get to depose you later as an expert
1: yep. all about that stuff.
2: Yeah. Yep. So I can, I can depose you twice potentially.
1: Yeah. Which I'm sure you're not doing just for fun, but occasionally you definitely would need would need to do that. And that's something of a, you know, I don't know, wake up call the right term, but uh, I, don't, I don't think that's something that a lot of the chiropractors who are listening here uh, have ever heard before. Uh, most I think are now on to electronic note keeping, um, but the ones that aren't, I've seen records from not just chiropractors, but certainly uh, a lot of uh, people in the medical fields that are just completely illegible. And I'm just uh, they're useless to me. I just end up having to look at the, the typewritten for, you know, final report. Um, Some
2: people, yes, yeah, st- still don't do typewritten reports. So sometimes that's all I had to go off of. So. I got it's a, rare, but...
1: I got I'm a report go. recently um, that was uh, sent to me on the Notes app of an iPhone. Um, so, you know...
2: That would be new territory. Uh, can I tell you more about what I look for, like, through Please. reporting? Um, I look for, like, super obvious inconsistencies. Uh, one of my first trials when I was in LA was a very young woman whose report described her as an elderly Korean man. And that kind of obvious, you know, copy and pasting or using templates, right? It makes it very easy for me with a jury to get you to admit that you use a template, right? Or that you do copy and paste. And then it gets me to potentially cast doubt on anything that's in that report, because how do we know that it pertains to this young woman and not to one of the hundreds of other people that you've seen and written a report for. Um, again, I, I doubt that many of your you know, uh, chiropractors are doing stuff like this, but it's a compelling example of, of the hot water you can get into when you try and, and do those You know, cheats. Templates are super handy, but we just have to be careful about the way we use them. Um, also, another obvious inconsistency that I used to see more but don't see a, uh, quite as much of is when a doctor describes a patient as being in severe distress. But then usually um, some sort of uh, vitals are taken like you know, a pulse or a temperature or something and nothing is elevated, everything seems normal. Under review of systems, they're described as being, you know, having a normal affect, um, but it, it, it's this kind of like tendency to overreach, um, which is another whole category that I wrote a bunch of notes on, uh, which is really where people can get into hot water is, is when there's overreaching.
1: So let's um, talk the about most that. I think that's mm-hmm. really important. And I think it's, it's um, sometimes taboo among chiropractors to talk about. And I think if we don't talk about it here, we're doing them a disservice. When you talk about overreaching, what are you talking about?
2: Yeah, I have a bunch of notes. So the most obvious one to me is CPT codes. That's uh, If it's on a bill, I will absolutely look at it. If you're billing at a four or a five for your for each visit, and you have a young person with no Significant medical history, who's, you know, presenting for classic symptoms of, you know, neck and back strain after an auto accident with no complications. I can make a lot of hay with that at trial and get bring in the CPT book and bring in a billing expert to talk about how the upcoding, you know, benefits you to the tune of what fifteen, twenty dollars or something like per exam, just to be able to squeeze out like that extra amount of money uh, instead of billing more appropriately, of, like a two or maybe a three, right? I'm never going to give anybody any hassle for a three. When you get consistently into the fours and fives, but you're treating like a 22 year old, that's perfectly fine before this, <laughs> no complications. Yeah. Um, it, it gives me something to talk about. And I've done that in trial before. Uh, I can't say that an adjuster goes through that stuff with a fine tooth comb, like CPT code, but I do because it's potentially relevant at trial. Um, also, I would, advise based on my prior experience at trial not to hold yourself out as like a biomechanic if you've taken like a seminar you know that's a few hours or maybe a few days because we generally have you know biomechanics that are highly trained specialists that um if you hold yourself out as that as having that level of expertise there's going to be a mismatch in you know the education at trial and, and uh that will um probably cast doubt on your qualifications and, you know. Let me ask you uh, real quickly about that
1: because it's an interesting topic. and I, I don't think anybody on this call holds himself out as a biomechanics expert per se, but I definitely have seen a lot of reports where they put a causation section and they will say, based upon my experience, my evaluation of this patient, I believe that they're Uh, You know, the the diagnosis and symptomology noted here uh, was caused by the motor vehicle accident of December 1st, 2000, whatever.
2: Yeah, I'm I'm never going to give anybody any hassle because you're going off of what you've been told by the patient that they were fine before this. They had this accident. Then they felt these symptoms. That's fine. But to hold yourself out with letters after your name as a biomechanic expert, that is a... Very specific field with a lot of heavy training and a lot of math involved. That I'm going to ask you for your calculations, and you know, I'm definitely going to depose you under those circumstances. Right. Um, and, you know, and, and the uh level of degree of experience will definitely be drawn out and uh, not look good. <laughs> so, it, that, that kind of overreaching of
0: you know, sure. someone
2: looking for a, hey, take biomechanics courses by all means because it will help you in your practice, but just don't hold yourself as being you know that um expert classification?
1: Um, when, Similarly, yeah, go ahead. I love uh, how prepared you are. This is making <laughs> a lot of the work off of me as an interviewer.
2: I would strongly recommend that you send your reports, especially if you suspect something is gonna go into litigation, that you send your films to an MD like radiologist and not like a chiropractic radiologist. Um, it's, I mean, if the case is heading towards litigation anyway, you know that we're gonna have you know, a radiologist who is, you know, an MD or a DO, you know, a chiropractic radiologist um, is, again, there's going to be a mismatch in like the levels of qualifications. Similarly, I would advise you not to interpret MRIs and educate, you know, your um, patients on MRIs, like in your reporting. It's one thing if you casually say it, but if it's in reports, like I reviewed the MRI, and this is what I found, and you're not sending it to a radiologist or, you know, there's not an orthopedist who regularly reviews those, those films. That's going to be something that I can potentially, you know, um, draw out a level of of experience and training if you're interpreting MRIs.
1: So, so.
2: X-rays I don't touch that, like that's fine. Like certainly qualified to do that. I was going to talk
1: on the DAC bars because they often will send those things to DAC bars, to the, to the chiropractic uh, radiologists. um, Because there's a thought that your standard radiologist or maybe your ER radiologist is really looking for broken bones and cancer and in not finding either of those, they'll often write it off as a regular MRI when, when, uh, when oftentimes there are more subtle orthopedic findings in the MRI. Are you, I mean, what, what are you thinking? What are, your, what are your thoughts from the defense side in terms of that? Because I see a lot of Dakbar readings of MRIs that are referred out by chiropractors when when the when they go to an orthopedist and there the orthopedist refers out for an MRI obviously it's read by uh, a radiologist um, you you think that your opinion is that they should if it's going to litigation send it to be reread
2: I, I think maybe this is a better comment for like plaintiff attorneys rather than chiropractors right because like a plaintiff attorney would know that if I have a like an MD you know on my expert list they want to be matched right and yeah. so if it's heading to trial, you would want to have your experts match to that level. I've seen it before where the attorney hasn't done that. And uh, then at trial, it's an obvious mismatch. And, you know, there's just different levels of training and the types of films that a chiropractic radiologist is looking to, you know, rather than.
1: I would, I would very much agree. I I recently had a case that was looking like it was heading to trial. Uh, We got their expert designation back and they designated a, a radiologist. So I supplementally designated a radiologist and had my films reread by a radiologist. Uh, I, I, they had already been read by a radiologist, but by an expert radiologist, because you, we need to have that um, that matching experts. Uh, you know, you don't want that mismatch. So, yeah, I, I concur on that. Yeah, on that but
2: the last bit of overreaching the um, examples that I have for you is emotional complaints. Like uh, I've had people in the past diagnose PTSD, like specifically that disorder, but then not refer them out to anywhere, which is concerning to me because if it's just, if you're just trying to get that laundry list of like 50 diagnoses just to make it seem like it's a big deal, that's just another sign of overreaching to me, Um, depending on the case. But generally someone with just kind of standard neck and back complaints doesn't need a list of diagnoses. Um, And and to me, that just uh, kind of casts a uh, negative pallor on the report. And I I kind of have a jaundiced eye when I'm looking at this. (laughs) But anyway, uh, but yeah, to see something like a significant emotional complaint, it's not just, you know, um, distress and normal anxiety and normal, um, you know, emotional sequela from like an accident, which anybody would experience, but Specifically, PTSD is a real um, trigger diagnosis, right? Especially if I can get a jury member that has military experience and I have a chiropractor who's diagnosed with PTSD, that's great Um, because it's very upsetting, right? Right. The idea that, uh, you know, are you qualified to diagnose this? And if you're really concerned about it, why not send them out to a specialist, right? Like to have them evaluated for that.
1: So I do a whole lecture on... Emotional injuries from a chiropractic perspective, and what uh, my recommendations are that they should do in those instances. And Great. when I what I always tell them to do is, if they are noting these things, that they should say things like "they're they're you know PTSD-like symptomology." Uh, and and if you really think somebody is exhibiting those types of symptoms, you can say it's it's like that. You know, it, it's it, evocative of PTSD or. Uh it it makes me think of back when I was at the district attorney's office. Police were not allowed to say that something smelled like marijuana. So they would say giving off the pungent aroma evocative of marijuana, which I always thought was funny. Um but but kind of like that, where you can say, Look, I'm I'm not a psychiatrist, psychologist, marriage and family therapist, neuropsych what anything. But I am seeing this person two, three times a week for an hour, and they do come in and tell me that they're uh, they haven't driven in the last three months since the accident, because they're afraid, uh, they had three panic attacks last month at work and had to go home. Um, you know, I mean, th- things that are, that are fairly clearly psychologically, uh, notable. Um, and to so note those in your report and make appropriate referrals. Uh, and, uh, and I think that those can be incredibly powerful when the chiropractor does them correct, but it sounds like, and I've never seen that personally, but it sounds like if they try to make the, the diagnosis themselves of a psychological injury that you could end up in hot water.
2: Yeah, definitely. Same. Um, concussions are very hot right now, and uh, I see a ton of concussion claims and, and TBI claims uh, in my cases, and it's really interesting to see someone, di- you know, like a chiropractor diagnosed post-concussion syndrome when you're the first treater to see somebody, but then not to refer them out, right? So again, like you're saying, I think it's appropriate to say, you know, I have concerns that someone might have this, and I'm referring you to right, a neurologist for evaluation or, right, yeah. as something, because right. certainly chiropractors can treat, you know, the headaches and the neck strain and everything from, you know, concussion. but to diagnose a concussion uh, it is going to make, you know, um, that's going to raise an eyebrow for me, and I'm going to, you know, if it's a serious claim that this seems to have something legitimacy, I'm going to get a neurologist, and if, you know, there isn't a neurologist on the other side, and it's just a chiropractor, oh. you know, going up against a neurologist, that's going to be
1: you know, um, well, I'm going to, we're, we're down to four minutes and I'm going to give my little wrap up pitch and then uh, ask if you have any final thoughts for everybody. But I did want to thank you for, for, for coming on and, uh, bearing your, your, your defense soul, uh, for for the chiropractors. Uh, I, I, I truly, I truly believe, and I hope that they're watching this, uh, seeing the spirit of cooperation between the two of us. Uh, it it is, uh, it's always a pleasure working with you on cases. I know that I'm going to get a fair shake. I know that you're going to honestly evaluate the records. Um, and you're not that much of a unicorn in your, in your business. Uh, a lot of defense attorneys don't think that everybody, uh, is, is, you know, is faking it and, and they don't think that all chiropractors are bad or something. They, they give everybody a fair shake and they really do, uh, to try and, and pick out, you know, the good ones from the bad ones. And, um, I think it's important for the chiropractors to see that sort of thing. Uh, if they have follow-up questions, I'm going to direct them to me. And if, uh, if, if, if I can't answer them, I'd be happy to pass them along to you. Um, my email, uh, I think everybody here probably already knows it, but it's Alexander Eisner, uh, E I S N E R at Seansteel.com. You can always email Sean, of course, with the most conceited email address in the world. Sean steel at Sean Um, Um, and I want to thank Amanda again for coming. Um, Amanda, final thoughts in the last two minutes of our seminar. What, uh, what, what, what is the, the honest chiropractor who wants to be more effective? What should they be doing right now?
2: Uh, I mean, just take everything that we've talked about, you know, with a grain of salt. Um, obviously the stuff that I'm talking about, I would hope doesn't apply to the majority of you. And, um, I'm sorry if it was just easy to be dismissive of my comments, but this is some really bad stuff, you know, that I see. And of course, the uh, really bad people, right? They're, they're the, the chiropractors that are just really lacking in, in, um, reporting that you were taught right in school and that your profession requires of you to maintain. And if they're just obviously dropping the ball, you know, it makes my job easier if I'm attacking a case. And if that doesn't apply to you, great. And don't let the bad, you know, bad chiropractors make you less confident in your practice. And if you're doing the things that, you know, you're advised to do within your profession, then, um, you know, I have the, the confidence for that.
1: Amanda, thank you so much for being here. We all very much appreciate it. Um, and I'm sure that I uh, speak for everybody who attended the call. There were over a hundred uh, that have been on, I've been watching. Uh, they are uh, thankful of your time as well. And, uh, and I just want to thank you very much.
2: Of course, it was a pleasure. Thank you.
1: All right. Bye-bye.